Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. This week, we read Aeon Legion, Book 1, Labyrinth, by J.P. Bobien. Bobien? 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 No, uh, Bobien? Maybe it's Aeon Legion, maybe it's real French, I don't know what it's supposed to be. I don't know, man. I have an impronounceable French last name, too, so... I, We've been I saying Aeon Legion this whole time, and then we just watched a book trailer that called it Eon Legion. So, you know, I don't know which one's better or worse or correct now. I guess I'll go with the book trailer. Yeah, the author made a book trailer for this book, and I just watched it, and yeah, we realized we were saying Aeon Legion. It's supposed to be Eon Legion, and then... Eh, I feel like the AE thing is one of those, like, either-or things. One of the char- other characters, like, I was calling her Kairos, and apparently it's what did he say? Kiro? K- K- Karos? It's like a Karos? little bit, it's a softer eye. It's yeah, not a, like, it's more like, ah. Uh, anyway. It's a very, you know, slight distinction. Anyway. Anyway, um, thanks to... Um, there's, a whole, <laughs> there's a whole lot of pronunciation issues in this book, probably. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say thanks to uh, Anya, one of our fans. She recommended this book. Um, yeah, so we take your requests. You know, we're listening. We're, yeah, we're, we we're heeding the advice here. Um, and this one was interesting. It was different for sure. Honestly, I, I didn't hate it. I actually kind of liked it. I was very, very surprised by this fact, if I'm being honest with you, because I read it first, uh, as usually is the thing, because I'm usually the one that orders the books, and so I'm just the one that has it first. And this one, I was fully ex- expecting you to like be bored or like miserable through the whole thing, because if I had one way to summarize this book, it's that it's uh, a, like a C-level shonen anime in text form. Which That's, is which I have I have no concept of what that means. So yeah, so I guess a little brief overview of some of our listeners perhaps don't get the idea what this is. Uh, shonen anime is basically a very it's it's marketed towards teenage boys. It's usually very like fighting or combat based action sort of a thing. It's about you know dudes fighting and going on adventures and getting stronger and th- this kind of like adventurey thing. And even though the protagonist in this book is female, it's still very I it. Since the book is almost like 80% sword fights, it feels like a text version of an action manga or anime to me. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually liked a lot of things about this book. So, yeah, let's let's start off with the things we liked about it. Um, or we can just maybe tell people briefly about it. I don't want to get into, like, a protracted explanation of the whole plot. But uh, essentially, there's this girl named Tara Mason... 
and she is a loner. She's into geology. She's a senior in high school. She's about to graduate. And um, she's in the library one day researching rocks and soil or whatever. And Nazis suddenly appear. And she helps this mysterious um, warrior lady, like, take them out. Even the warrior she's... lady like appears out of nowhere, like out yeah, of a they portal in the middle yeah. of the room. Like even the Nazis like open a portal in the middle of the room. Like I don't know why they opened a portal outside and stormed. The first line of the book is like the Nazis attacked the library, and then yeah, it it starts out pretty stupid. Yeah, like, it, like it, you're it, like, oh, this is gonna be horseshit. Like the yeah, fuck? it it starts so... out like uh, like a Z grade Flash game on Newgrounds, which is also what that book trailer looked like. It looked like the intro cinematic to an old Flash game. <laughs> from like the 90s or I something. I don't know. This, this is another thing I have no experience with, so I'll just trust you. I'm going to frequently be making comparisons to like old video games and anime stuff because this book is ba- is it's very clearly from the mind of someone that has been exposed to a lot of video games and anime and manga and stuff like that because I can see it all over it and being someone that was into that stuff and still is into that stuff to this day for the most part, but especially in like high school and stuff, I can just see the influence all over it. Well, interestingly, you know, as a person who does not see any of that because I don't know anything about it, it actually seems uh, original to me in a lot of ways, but maybe not for the reasons that you're talking about. It wouldn't be if you've read like a lot of like people's self-made anime ideas that they have or like a whole, there's a bunch of stuff that's like sort of cliche i will say like nothing about the book is like overtly anime-ish except maybe there's a japanese like teenage character in it and sort of like the naming aesthetic of people is a very anime naming aesthetic where they're sort of like named after the concept they're all about in, in yeah, this sort of way if, I, if that makes any sense yeah like there's that, like the, the the war, main warrior lady that we talk about, her name is like Alia Silverwind, and there's like a very sort of like canine in nature character named Lycus Cerberus. It's very on the nose sort of yeah. naming scheme like that that you would might you maybe see in an anime. Even Tara Mason's name, which is like to me reads as world builder, which is mm-hmm. sort of like unsubtle. It's like it's very in that fashion, let's say. Right. So anyway, moving on. So basically, this Tara Mason teenager, she ends up getting picked up by the warrior lady as her, um, like, trainee, essentially. It's called her squire. And she gets shipped off to training for this, for the, I'm just going to call it the Aeon Legion. I don't know. That's just what yeah. I'm, that's it's, just how uh, I pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> so she goes into training for the Aeon Legion, which is extremely difficult. Um, and the Aeon Legion is a group of basically time warrior police that... Time cops. Sh- yeah, they make sure... Sh- and, and that sounds dumb, but I actually think... The um, the concept of all the different continuums and the beginning and end of time is actually kind of brilliant. And like the map at the beginning of the book is really cool. Uh, I think yeah, sure. I, I mean, think it's a good it, idea. Every anime kind of starts with a rad concept like this. I will say. Um, there's a, a couple of, like time travel ones I've been meaning to watch that I heard were really good, but that's besides the point of what we're talking about. Yeah. So, but this is another thing like this, like this, the way this is set up and stuff like that. There's various continuums, and you are my squire, like the special words for things and like that. It's super, you know, first episode of an anime. Like I have to say, and this book is basically the conflict is them going through the training to be time cops, basically. That's the major conflict of the book. There's a villain and stuff, but that's not really not the central issue. Yeah, so anyway, she gets into the, the time cop academy. She goes to this really rad city called Saturn City, which is like a city-state, and there's 
Um, I also think the design and concept of that city is pretty cool and different it's, for me. It, it's a city beyond time um, that that sort of like exists outside of time itself or like on the edge of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a concept actually like straight up taken from Chrono Trigger, which he actually lists as an influence in the back of the book, I believe. Oh, yeah, that list of influences in the back of the book is so dumb. I don't know why. He specifically mentions Chrono Trigger and the edge of time and the end of time and that being a thing, like being a place you can go to is is straight from Chrono Trigger. The fact that there's a whole city there is like more than, you know, in the the video game is literally just like one room that you could be in. So a city is an expansion upon that. And I will let you talk about how the city's designed, which is kind of, which was a neat idea to me. With oh, the arms man, and you know, stuff. I'm just every single thing I think that is good about this book. You're just <laughs> sucking the life out of it by telling I'm, me, oh, he stole that from this video game or this anime. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm being honest with you, man. Like that, that there's a lot of stuff that like I could just like, oh, I see where you got that from or I see where you pulled that from. Oh, sure. But, but the, his idea for the, the design of the city, that is original. Yeah. And I just want to say that. If you are like me and a person who has never read anime and never played Chrono Trigger or any of the shit in the back of the book, like, <laughs> what? No, I'm just laughing because, like, you're, you're totally right about that. And that's kind of, it's interesting how different the perception of the book is. I think right. it's a pretty decent book, too, mind you. Yeah. It's kind of weird that I'm saying this on a podcast called Terrible Book Club. But honestly, like, I've read way worse and less entertaining books than this. Yeah, There's like, issues, I, I actually, but. yeah, there are issues and we'll get to that. But I just... I, just want to get through the basic plot so people know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, when Tara goes to the training academy in Saturn City, um, it's extremely difficult and most, like, it's so difficult that most people don't pass the first time or even the second time. Like, it's even hard to get accepted into the training to start the training, never mind finish it. And they go through all of these uh, sort of death-defying trials, and there's a lot of mind games with the professors and the other students. Um, she makes some acquaintances that way later turn out to be friends, but um, she doesn't really develop any like close relationships with anyone except for this random girl that like helped her the first day she was in the city alone, which was weird. Um, I wouldn't even call that a close relationship. She definitely developed closer relationships with her, like her fellow trainees or whatever over time, I would say, but they're all kind of super competitive towards each other at first because, you know, the teachers are sort of pulling like this points game on them and like, you can like fight someone else to steal a point from them with your sword. If you would like. Yeah. It's really, it's really cutthroat. It's like, a lot of the time it doesn't seem fair, but that's just a mind game the professors are playing with the students to kind of see who's going to be a fucktard and who isn't. Like, who's going to... And I mean, this is very Hogwarts. Like, let's be real about that. Like, that, that's... I don't know. From, is it? I honestly... Yeah, I hate that shit. basically the Gryffindor, like, Slytherin point, house point system kind of, except it's individualized to each individual person fighting for their own spot um, amongst the Aeon Legion eventually. Even though, you know, the points tend to end up being sort of like a professorly fake out or like... Yeah, that's what I mean. They're not even real at the end. It was just a, a, it was just a ruse so the professors could see who was shithead and who wasn't. Basically, yeah, it, uh, it's it's more like the professors are just seeing what type of people they are more than like there's any strictly defined rubric to get yeah. in or out of the legion. Right. So anyway, as they go on, people get disqualified for very like various reasons. I mean, you could be 
three seconds late to a class and get disqualified and thrown out or you can die or you can yeah, dying uh, is a part of being you know people will straight up die doing this yeah and so the the trainees all get um so there's two very important pieces of equipment in this book there's a shield watch and an aeon edge um and <laughs> aeon edge just is just kind of sound funny to say yeah i, have to I know say. that's the thing i mean i feel like as you read the book you get more invested in it and you kind of forget about all the dumb super anime terminology, but, um, you just have to start letting the word that like shield watches one word, just like it's yeah. a compound word of them two crammed together, which is like probably the least creative thing you can do. But in the end, what else are you going to call them? I guess. Yeah. I mean, something? I don't, I don't take issue with the, with the word. Anyway, a shield watch is this, um, it's almost like a smart watch that can time travel, yeah, sort it's of. like it has like a mini. It they call it singularity technology. So anything, any of the high tech stuff, it's kind of sci-fi in execution instead of fantasy, where all of their technology has like latent time travel control. Where so your shield watch effectively grants you immortality because you can just time travel yourself back to when you were healthier. Yeah, and the shield watches are attuned to each person individually. So like. If you come upon someone else's shield watch, it has very limited functionality, whereas the one that is attuned to you can do things like, you know, help your body go back in time to be younger or whatever. Um, yeah. And it can also produce food at will because it can just materialize it from a different point in time. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of complicated. There's a lot of... That's super weird. It got me wondering, like, yeah. what the, f- like, limits of that, if they could just, like, hey, I want some weed right now, could they just, like... Probably. Cook there... up some bud right you there? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting thing, actually, because there was zero discussion of drugs or contraband in, yeah. in this book, which I guess if you're, weird. like, an immortal... Because te- like, everyone that gets the shield watch is basically a demigod at some point, right? Because they're immortal. They can flip through time. They have all these crazy powers. Like, yeah. it, you're basically <laughs> a, a beyond human at that point. Yeah, and um, so anyway, the shield watches grant them... I mean, uh, though, it, it, I mean, it sounds like you're a demigod, but, like, not really. There are limitations to it. Um, so at first, your body has to kind of become fused with it mentally so it's not as good at first and like it takes a while for the kids to or the people they're not all kids sorry um everyone in training to kind of get used to it and learn how to use it so for example you can use your shield watch to speed up your vision so you can see someone so you you can see two other people fighting with a shield watch at increased speed clearly it's like you can watch other people with shield watches while you have your shield watch on and so you this can is, um, watch. That, that's, that's, that's straight from Dragon Ball Z in which uh, the Saiyans would fight so quickly that only someone else that has like a high enough power level or a tuned key can watch them fight because they're so fast. There you go. Just one more <laughs> droplet of goodness. Ripped from me. I'm just telling you, man. Again, like these, it's kind of a mishmash of a lot of pop culture. There's original ideas in here too. I have to <laughs> hang say. Hang on, hang on. Paul's in the other room, and he just looked at me and goes, "Mouthed Dragon Ball Z," and yeah, I nodded. See? Yep, yep, yep. Because <laughs> mind, he can't hear you, so he he discerned that just by what I was saying. Yep, anyway. yep. He's. I want to see like how quickly he also catches the reference because I know he's also probably seen and played a lot of the same. Oh yeah, yeah. He knows. That we he knows have. way more about this shit than I do. Um. Anyway, so they have these shield watches, and so anyway, it can like um, it can in- enhance your physical capabilities. Uh, you can slow I think gravity so it can that slow you can slow gravity. Yep, and I think um, 
But I think the only thing is is what you it can't rest your mind. So like if you do too much physical shit with a shield watch, you can become mentally exhausted and you can't really recover from it. Yeah. Um, so th- like I said, there are actually as the book goes on, you learn that there are a lot more limitations to the shield watch and the Aeon Edge. The Aeon Edge is just a really fancy, super sweet looking sword that can time travel so it can cut through things with ease because it yeah, it travels I, through time to rust things to the I'm or not like quite destroy sure things. Exactly how that part of it functioned, but in the end it's basically like any kind of weapon can be an Aeon Edge. I think there was like daggers and swords. There was like katanas. There might have been a spear at some point. Yeah, or there are there are s- some variants. Um, Basically, cool looking time sword weapon things. You know, because you have a shield and a sword as you would. Right. So the the swords, like I said, the way the way they work is they they also have that singularity technology that Chris was explaining earlier, where to they can cut through just about anything because they accelerate time around that thing to the point where that thing no longer exists which <laughs> For is anime like reasons, yeah basically. which is like it's a really just basic interesting anime idea. ass reasons <laughs> whatever to me it's interesting because i don't know anything about anime but um yeah i'm wondering now like if i showed you a bunch of like older animes if you'd be like oh that's really cool because i've never seen anything like that before because you know a lot of a lot of the ideas back then were super original and then later animes built upon this and there's sort of parodies of them now like you know, that you know it, it got out of hand basically yeah uh so anyway after the recruits go through the training uh they have several trials how many were there 13 12 there was like 12 or 13 12 and they were sense. really they were really kind of like just thrown together in a way in in my view and also like the other thing is the labyrinth, the labyrinth, rather, is the main conflict of the book. Like, it's the final stage of training that they're always building up to. And the professors keep saying, like, you might get lost in this labyrinth. And in the end, it's super linear. It's not like an actual maze. It's just like you keep finding the next gate and that's it. Um, I don't know. I remember it being, it's, it's not really that linear because the gates aren't always in the same place. They're not always activated in the same way. And they close up if you don't get to them in time. So sure, but that's more of a linear. race to like point from point A to point B than like a maze. It's not like there's multiple entrances and exits and gates that could lead to the wrong area. That's or true. It's it's less labyrinthian to me and more just like yeah. a set of challenges or trials, which is fine. Like it's a this is a really nitpicky thing, but if you called your book labyrinth, I was expecting more maze things happening. Well, no, labyrinths and mazes are different. So really. Um, yeah, they're not. I know a lot of people use them interchangeably, but they they're act they actually refer to two different things. So a maze is uh, something that you can enter at various points and find a way to get out. A labyrinth has only one entrance and then a middle point that you get to. There's only one end to a labyrinth, and it's at the center. Uh, okay, well then, maybe color me educated in this section i suppose because i thought they were just kind of the same idea one was just like the greek word for it or something no so labyrinths are very different in that once you enter a labyrinth you can only get to the center um all right well then i guess minor nitpick there is just has to be absconded with because i was i guess wrong on that point yeah sorry (laughs) that's okay but but that's that's me reclaiming joy from you ruining my enjoyment of this but the trials themselves were just kind of like, oh, you have to fight this guy. Oh, you have to, like, solve this riddle. But Yeah, like, I thought the trials, I thought all the trials I had to go through were kind of neat. Like, I I guess I wasn't expecting, 
so much like action and puzzle work in this book and that's why I, I liked it because yeah it was like every day some crazy bullshit was happening and I was like oh this is cool like how are they gonna get out of this one you know yeah was, no <laughs> that's definitely I read the book in one sitting I have to say like I I mean like I took a break here or there but it took me like four or five hours and I was actually actually interested enough to go through it because I was like huh I wonder what the next trial is or I wonder what the next thing they have to like face is I'm actually surprised you got through this in four hours because I think it took me eight over a couple of days and I typically read faster than you. So that's weird. Um, I just remember like chewing through it in one go. Sometimes when I like I want to, I can like really get cooking. And I remember that like especially that day, like I just wanted to get it done. Yeah. And like I said, like there's most of this book is just sword fighting and puzzle solving. Like there's not a lot of other extraneous stuff. It's all about Terra, like just trying to face up to all these challenges and finding the resolve within herself, which is something I am totally a hundred percent down with. As yeah, a yeah, I, I thought that was good too. I one, uh, sorry, let's let's finish just getting to the basic plot. So by the time the uh, the recruits get to the final um, the final challenge of the labyrinth, uh, I, I guess I won't ruin it for anyone, but it gets. Uh, shit gets fucked up and basically something messes with the whole city and they they have to they end up uh, the recruits like have end up having to find a way to defeat a very real threat instead of the the thing that was actually yeah just the trials like you know they had to go above and beyond just the regular trials and actually save saturn city in the so a bunch of a bunch of crazy shit ensues and then there's a big reveal at the end about you know how the Nazi really got involved, and uh, <laughs> so you know, I won't, I won't ruin everything for you. Um, so that's that's just the basic storyline, and yeah, it's mostly it's mostly about the the recruits going through the training more than the actual sort of conflict that pops up at the end. Even though that you know they look back at it every once in a while, but it's usually like one chapter out of every like eight or ten or so that you'll get a peek at sort of this Nazi villain character's perspective on yeah. what he's cooking up on. And, and so, most of the rest of it is just training and trials. Right. Uh, so one more thing I really loved about this book was that there was no romantic subplot. Thank you. Just thank none. you. Thank you. Fucking yeah, thank I, you. <laughs> I, I agree with this. Like, that was like the one thing I was like totally expecting. Like, there was a bunch of male characters. Yep. I was like, okay, she's yep. totally going to start getting flirty with them because reasons, even though this is a crazy situation she's in and she's trying to focus on staying alive. But then she never did. Like, she formed alliances and friendships with these people. So it wasn't like she was ignoring them or anything. She, but, you know, it was a reasonable thing in the situation there are in which we're all fighting for our lives to get, you know, a position on this immortality time cop squad. So probably yeah. not a lot of time for fooling. There's time for fooling around. There's even a scene early in the book where, like, a character, one random B character, not even B, like D character that only appears in this one scene, turns to another one and goes like, would you like to have sex now is the actual oh, line. Oh, that was really dumb, yeah. <laughs> it's but, like, um, it's it's when Tara's just kind of like on the town for her first night before she goes to the academy. She meets up with that one character that she just randomly makes a friendship oh, with. Oh, yeah, Delphia is her name. Yeah, and then like a dude shows up to hit on that lady's mom and by hit on I mean just turns to her and goes hey you want to do it now which you know respect is kind of part of my game sometimes too you got to be direct and if they say no that's it if they say it was, yeah cool it was it was very very poorly uh, executed so yeah <laughs> anyway anyway I just want to say thank you uh, Mr. Bobillon however you say your name thank you for not including a shitty romantic subplot um, 
because that's that's one of the reasons that I really loved reading this book was that I didn't have to contend with that. I didn't have to roll my eyes at the horribly written sex scene or or just skip a page because yeah, all they were doing was talking about how much they loved each other. You know, yeah, it, was, it, it was nice. It's, it's not like I hate love or like I don't like reading <laughs> no, no. something maybe even sexy once in a while or something. But like, no, it doesn't have to be every fucking book that someone's fallen in love and like it's it, that's the central because usually the romantic thing is like the central crux of like. Like the motivation for their character it's like oh i have to save this person that fucked me because you know they touched my penis good or something it's like usually right, a lot right. of the motivation but this one was just about them seeking a goal beyond that like a goal that's not just i'm in love with someone but a real personal goal of attaining immortality or yeah, immorality and, shall and, we say oh god okay we'll get there and and uh yeah and i think that if you're you know if you're thinking about who the audience might be for this book which is probably preteens, teenagers, uh, adults. I mean, I think that's a I think that's a great message to send. You know, work on yourself, self-improvement, no romantic bullshit. That shit comes later, you know. Like I think uh, yeah, that's I to- really again, good. I I'm really down with the central sort of uh arc of Terra in this book in that she starts out as literally like you know, not very athletic. It, not that athleticism has much to do with it, but she's afraid of standing up. But in this one moment that she decides to take charge of things, because the way she gets involved is that she basically throws a rock at the Nazi that's stealing a book. Oh, by the way, yeah, okay, so the Nazi character, his name is Hans. He's sort of like the villain of the whole thing. He appears at the start of the book to try to steal a book out of a library that uh Terra isn't and I don't get like why does he have to steal this one book because there's a bunch of other World War II books he's trying to like figure out what happens in World War II so he can let Germany win ahead of time he was, but if you he ha- was looking for one about a specific battle like the outcome of a specific battle and then and then the war as a whole he was looking for something that was more detailed so I I just remember. I reading guess, but that. like there was like it, it said the library had like rows of World War II books, and any World War II book worth its salt is going to probably talk about the major turning points that I know. And, would and be anyway, enough of a strategy. Anyway, it's just it's a really weird thing that he's yeah. like, I need to find this one book when he could have just turned to anyone in the room and been like, Hey, do you remember what happened to the Nazis? Like, yeah, I I think well, I don't know. Anyway, um, I guess we can now start talking about the things that were bad in the book. Um, and we can start with the Nazi villain. Like, come on, man. You, he even mentions it in the book. Terra even says something like, I can't believe we're fighting evil Nazis. That's like the tropiest thing in the world. You know, she, she says, says like, I think she says it's like, like out of a video game or a comic book or yeah, something like that. And, and she's right. Yeah. I mean, like, to be fair, it's not like Nazis keep popping up throughout the book to antagonize people. It's literally just like this one guy and maybe like his, you know, bumbling superior that he's leading on or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it, it's just an easy way for people to um, automatically assume he's a dick. It's like if it's like Nazis and zombies and child molesters and puppy kickers or like any of those things you could do to just automatically make someone villain character without having to do much work but i do think that so okay i do wish that he had not included a nazi villain in this but i think he wrote hans fairly well um I didn't. Yeah, he's sort of like the Nazi that doesn't really care about the whole racism and the anti-Jewish part. He just kind of wants to like rule shit. I guess is like is that his deal? Uh, he, he just wants he's to just know. He's really into yeah. He's really into science and knowing and like uh, figuring out this time travel shit. And you know, I I think that it was definitely written in a way that 
made sense. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it wasn't as um, cartoonishly evil as I first thought it was going to be. Yeah, so he's more good. of like this scientist engineer that just like figures out time travel, which side note, somewhere early in the book, uh, Alia says like, oh, figuring out time travel is actually mad easy. It's just that we police everyone to shit about it. Which is kind of funny to me. They, they're just like, oh, yeah, you could just make it. It's super easy. Like, the 1940s Nazi technology totally had that shit down. It's fine. Yeah, that was that was weird. I mean, and, and obviously, time travel I guess travel you, you is... have to allow for that for, you know, there to be a city beyond time or whatever. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just saying, like, you know, and obviously one of the other problems with this book is that it's all about time travel, which is something that's hard to explain or provide a larger framework for because it's impossible as far as we know, you know, in our understanding yeah, of the universe. The way causality works in this thing, I think, is like there's sort of differing timelines. And there's a scene in which Alia sort of like has an argument with Terra and she's sort of time traveling around certain responses. So it's more like she's been arguing with Terra for hours and she time travels back to the point where that one phrase would have like worked. So it's basically like quick saving and quick loading your game in like a Fallout game or something, which is yeah. you know, the same idea. So basically, again, if you treat time travel like saving your game somewhere and like maybe you have a separate save file at certain branching points that's basically how time is treated in this book well no no i what i'm saying is that you can't really provide a justification that makes any fucking sense in the yeah, real world time travel is always um, going to kind of break so, cause and effect in some way yeah so you have to i mean you have to go into this book with um an open mind i guess but i i do like how there are separate continuums and like i said the map at the beginning is cool um and anyway, so yeah, uh, I kind of wish it, it went a little bit more into like what the major branching points were, because there's like, you know, maybe 10 or 12 like separate lines you see in like the map. You know, there's the, the, the fantasy map that you get at the start of any fantasy sci fi book, but this one's timelines. So I, I would like to have known what the branching points were, but maybe that's fodder for later books. No, know? it it mentioned like three of them uh, in the book, maybe more. Um, it said that the first major split was. Uh, oh, was um, Alexander the Great. There are three different timelines. Um, that was yeah, like one that, of the major splits. Sure, um, yeah. It describes like uh, like two or three of them, but I just wish there was more of like I could know like what the real yeah, like, big, yeah, that's big ones true. were, I guess. It, it would just been, it, it would have been a neat world building or time building thing. I don't know. Well, well like you said, I mean, I think it's obvious he's going to write other books. Um, so I'm sure there's, we'll hear about yeah, it Yeah, there's later. definitely a lot of like classic setup scenes from like, oh, we ended this season of an anime or we ended this video game that's a three-part series. And so... You know, there's a, there's a big scene that I kind of want to talk about at the end later that's very, like, tropey as hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so my second and probably largest issue with the book is the um, repetitive phrasing and repetitive use of... Um, Certain descript idioms. Descriptive, and descript yeah, idioms yeah. and descriptive... Um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Descriptive phrases. Um and, and also, I'll just group this in with that. There's, like, a typo or a grammatical error every page or two. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind pretty of frequent. sloppily edited, I have to say. Like, yeah. very sloppily edited. Like, I don't know. I'm sure he, he or someone else that he sent it through was supposed to proofread, and there's just glaring errors. Uh, I want to talk about my favorite one, basically. Oh, my yeah, go ahead. moment in the book that I kind of offhandedly mentioned before was... It, 
there's a scene in which there's an old man that's begging for citizenship into Saturn City, and that basically gets you a shield watch, I think, so you get immortality. So he's on his knees to, like, I guess the Saturn City immigration officer or whatever. Yeah, basically. And he's like, please, you need to let me in. Please, please. I. He's supposed to say, I need immortality. But the T got left out, so the book literally says, I need immorality. Yeah, it's like very shit like that. Thing. You know, and like, it, uh, the word badass has two Ds in it. Like, I know, it's yeah, just it, ridiculous it, things it, like it's, that. It's, there's, like, a couple of commas that get missed out in dialogue sometimes, so it looks like a 10-year-old typed out a sentence and didn't realize where the punctuation was supposed to be. Yeah, and so, you know, we'll, and we'll talk about, you know, and this is the thing. I think this book could have been... A lot better if it had just maybe gotten a few more drafts in and a good editor before it was published. And I, I feel like that's um, that's actually what uh, the girl who recommended this to us said, Anya. And after reading it, I agree with her. I think that that's exactly what this needs. It just needs a rewrite for, you know, to get rid of all these, like, tropey, repetitive language pieces and typos and stuff. And, yeah, so, like, you know, let's... and then it'd be fine. Yeah, let's make a, like a little short list here because uh, most of it is you know little tiny stuff like that, like the immorality immortality thing, where that the meaning of that sentence has changed. I know what it's supposed to say or whatever, but that's just a really tiny mistake that you should just check before you print your goddamn yeah. manuscript. It's really like the basic level stuff. There's that. Um, there's sort of the repetitive phrasing. Like, can you give a couple examples of things that you saw yeah, popping me, up all the time? Um, so, oh my god, my probably the worst one throughout the whole book is the character like a Cerberus. He is... God, he has a wolfish grin on every fucking page he's on. Yep, every, every grin, grin is wolfish. That's wolfish. the only way... He's, he's always... He's always... Oh, and everyone in this book, glaring all the time. Always glaring. Everyone's glaring. Like, why? Yeah, no everyone's, like, really on edge. Like, well, the characters are kind of, like, rude to each other and on edge a little bit at the start of the book, but it's always a glare. It's never a stare or perhaps a leer. A glance. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, it's never anything else. But like his Cerberus and his wolfish grins, like, I kept making notes in the book, like, are you fucking serious? Again? What the well, hell? <laughs> I, I think like that's the only way he knew how to get a canine aesthetic across with that character. But like, like you don't need to beat people over the head with it. You're already calling him like a Cerberus. I think I that's know. good. Like, you know, it's very <laughs> obvious like we that he's it. supposed to be that way. And like one or two mentions of a wolfish grin will set the tone for that. But it really is every time uh, the dude cracks half a smile, it's wolfy as fuck. For yeah, some and and things like um, <laughs> I just found one of my other notes, which is just a weird like um. A weird discrepancy in concept but um i'll just continue with the you know the weird um so whenever he's describing alia silverwind he just can't stop saying the word silver and wind and yeah it's, it's just <laughs> like oh man in the first scene alone it's like her hair was silvery in the wind like a silver like i like i really think that's a sentence i'm gonna i'm gonna just read a couple sentences Terra ducked as Hans regarded the, or Hans regarded the silver-haired intruder. Silver wind, he said in a low tone. He then pointed at the silver-haired woman, the one he referred to as silver wind. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> like how it, many guy. times did I just say silver and wind? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, Look, uh, he really wants you to get that concept of like a very shiny wind yeah, across and, to you. And that happens, you know, it's kind of the same problem like a Cerberus. Whenever he's around, wolfish grins glaring and whenever Ollie is around silver winds silver winds winds silver 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 wind wind um 
And, oh, yeah, sorry, this is... <laughs> there's, like, a really, a really stupid uh, conceptual problem I found where uh, when they're talking about Tara's parents... So this is, like, before... Uh, before Tara enters the Legion, you know, she, like, comes home after the library thing, and she's having an argument with her parents about not... Where her life be- is going, and, like, yeah. just, do you want to do anything with yourself, and yeah. stuff like that. because she didn't get... She didn't uh, apply to any colleges, and it's, like, the end of senior year, so she's she's kind of not doing anything. So, anyway, um, <laughs> they describe Tara as being around uh, five feet, five, you know, maybe five one or something. Yep. And then when they introduce her mom, they say she was taller than Tara by a foot. So I'm like, damn, her mom's like six, somewhere between six feet and six three. If Tara's between like five feet and five three. And then later down the page, her, it says her dad is a head shorter than Tara. So her dad's like four, six and her mom's like six, two. Hey man, like, what you the know, fuck? stranger couples have gotten together. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible it's just like this really bizarre thing for no reason that never gets brought up again i feel like maybe he was just writing it and wasn't thinking about what those um like ratios meant in real life (laughs) i think it's just like you know i've seen a lot of things where parents are just have like a quirky feature about them in like and they're, they're tossed aside pretty quickly too so, you know, it's pretty funny that, like, later in the book, when she gets to the Time City or whatever, she's like, I'm going to call my parents and let them know I got into the Time Academy or whatever. Yeah, and her parents weird. are just like, all right, I guess. Well, I think. Where I feel, are you? You're at the edge yeah, of time? Where, no, is that, I, where? no, no, no. I think, it, I think it's pretty clear what happens is that she tells her parents she's going to a college and then. No, just no. Goes Alia, back. like, interviews her parents and, like, gets their permission, remember? Really? Yeah, Alia, like, goes and gets her parents' permission to be her squire. Well, sure, but she probably doesn't say it's for the time police. She probably says, I'm part of an elite She's military She's dressed in white school. armor, white time cop armor the whole time. She has no regular clothing. She's going to show up to the parents' house. They're going to be like, what the fuck is up with this silver-haired time cop? I mean, they don't know if she's a time cop, but she's in... Like she's only ever described as being in like white plated armor. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I know they can they can change their clothing at will. So like, I don't see. I guess, but the impression that I got was clearly that Alia just straight up went to the parents and be like, "Yo, I'm recruiting your daughter for the Immortal Time Police. You down?" I I I kind of read a subtext of slight deceit with all of that because whose family would believe that they would think you were just a crazy person that's so. uh, but she does have like t- you know alia does have time traveling arguing advantage so <laughs> yeah anyway sorry i'm just flipping through to see if there's any i but you know there's like i said the typo stuff and the and the kind of the really repetitive poor descriptors happen a lot and having like, to read the words a on edge every other page when they're oh in a fight scene God, because he can't just say like her sword or her dagger or something like that like you can just say sword guy like i understand that it's an a on edge you don't have to I don't think she's going to suddenly have grabbed, like, a broadsword out of nowhere if you didn't specify that it wasn't the Aeon Edge or whatever. Yeah, it does become really taxing to constantly read Aeon Edge instead of just her sword. Uh, So, you know, that's something that could probably be edited out. And did you also notice the propensity for various characters to pinch the upper part of their nose and sigh? Yes, this is... what? I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. 
You don't... Okay, well, here's another thing. It's a very anime thing that you see a lot of characters Oh, no! Do. Anime strikes it's, again! It's sort of like an exasperate... Like, it's, it's a real thing people do, too. It's not, like, exclusively in anime, but it happens a lot in animes and mangas that you... In order to draw someone looking exasperated, they're, like, kind of pinching, like, where... You know if you're wearing a pair of glasses, kind of, like, where the that little thing sits on your nose? Yeah. You, like, you're, you hold that like you have a headache kind of thing. No one you've does never, that in real life. You've never seen this before? No one does that. I no know, one like, no one pinches the top of their nose with their hand when they're exasperated in real in the real world. In, in Japanese uh, media that I've seen it happens all the time. Wow, okay, that's I'm, really stupid. I'm playing stupid. Persona 5 right now and there's like at least a couple of portraits of like dialogue characters have where they're pinching the bridge of their nose like that in an exasperated fashion. Yeah, that's dumb and it's not a thing that's real. I don't know why you would write that into the book. Uh, I thought that was strange. I guess I've definitely I guess. seen a person or two do it in real life. It's not like an impossibility. But. I, I don't know. And in the context that um, that it's used, it doesn't really make sense. I don't know. I, I just think it's stupid. And it's one of those things that just happens too often. Um, like how everyone glares. Yeah. In this book. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Like, there's just definitely a slight repetitiveness about certain phrases and the things that he uses. Yeah. And, uh, there's some creativity in here too, which is why, like, I'm not inclined to just trash it. Even though there's a lot of, like I said, tropey things that I recognize from other things, like even the Hikari character. She's like this Japanese girl that also get these. All the recruits are just pulled from various points in time for reasons that they don't really elaborate on or whatever. And Hikari is some Japanese girl from. It's indeterminate exactly what time period she's from, but she's the. Uh, she's of- from the time period where. Uh, Japan was really good at folding steel because yeah. her dad was like the expert at folding steel. Hanzo, there's your, there's your fucking like you know expertly crafted katana trope that's in every other fucking yep. Japanese thing too. Yeah, I did recognize that trope. And she's basically like your your it. standard Ronin character. Almost, it's not like she's explicitly masterless or whatever, but she's a lone samurai sort of type. She gets a an edge that looks like a katana. It's like explicitly said, like it's curved in a way that resembles eastern blades. Sort yeah, of thing. I know, and so yeah, there's, so there's that, but like again. And so, but all the characters are sort of this idea. There's like a Greek Spartan guy that's like one of the tutors. There's a Roman legionnaire. There's like a knight from like a, you know. So that's like, of course, that's going to happen. And that's like sort of the the hook with this idea. It's like battle right. royale Hogwarts with you know the warriors of time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I'm just going to go on with some more things that were weird. Like he always describes the Celtic girl. In the same way, and then he talks about how she her hair was bleached white and stylized into spikes, and I was like, I don't think the Celts ever did that, but maybe I mean, I'm if you crazy. but if if you travel beyond time, you're probably gonna like start to do some crazy hairstyles, maybe some anime hairstyles, perhaps. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, that seemed weird. Um, he always describes the same people like the same exact way when it there's really no reason to. It, it's weird because he doesn't doesn't even really go into that much detail. He's just like, oh, they had tan skin and blue eyes. And then again, two pages later, oh, they had tan skin and blue eyes. It's like, no, it's yeah, fine. Like, we got some it. Some of the descriptions, they're, they're not really revealing of the character, especially after you see them for the second or third time. I, I like Maybe he doesn't quite grasp the idea that it, when you're describing something, it's more about setting a general tone that you're wanting to go for and not just like legitimately describing every physical detail or something for the sake of it. Because, you know, tan skin, blue eyes might, 
in a certain context, it can set a certain tone and character about the situation or the scene or whatever, but other scenes require different observations. It's like the same thing in real life. The thing that makes things seem real is when you notice tiny different details every time. Like I can walk yeah. down the same street all my life, but I can have an extra, I guess, maybe not special moment, but like something worth remembering if I like look down a different part of the street and notice something different or like right, a different right. perspective I had. And that's what makes things artful and interesting in my book is finding the little details to bring out that set this tone you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, oh, and by, sorry, while I was looking through my notes, I found one of those other branches that you were asking about. Uh, one of them for our continuum is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I guess major, like, world-ending or knowledge, like, because Alexander the Great, that thing was, like, the Library of Alexandria was probably, like, the main thing that they were talking about. No, I mean, no, it's Alexander the Great. The, there's three different um, possibilities so there's one where he survives long enough to consolidate his empire, and another he dies young and his empire fragments, and then the third is when he dies in India and his empire shatters completely. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it like I I assumed it had something to do with like the burning of the Library of Alexandria because that's considered to be one of like one of the biggest losses of human knowledge ever. Like we've oh, got set sure. back so far and stuff. Sure, but I don't think that had. I'm, not, I'm probably I guess just I'm, not sure I'm putting where my own I'm putting my own headcanon into that probably. Yeah. Instead of just like you know, but yeah, you know that's interesting. Um, some of the things I liked were I liked all the little excerpts uh, that like a Cerberus gives at the beginning of the chapters when she gets into the academy. I thought those were cool. Yeah, you get like his internal. I guess he keeps a diary or something like that. No, it's a, it's a manual for the teachers. No, but there's also like personal entries that like it's a, it's like from the personal um, log of like a oh yeah you're right you're right there's a couple of those and like that basically makes sure that you know that he's not a jerk and he's the Snape character of this series in in like if we're making the Hogwarts comparison again well I don't know I don't remember anything about Hogwarts I didn't like the Harry Potter series so in, I ha don't in Harry Potter Snape play, in the movies he was played by Alan Rickman I don't know if you ever watched them or yeah anything. I knew Alan Rickman played him but I, I don't remember anything about the his world. character arc is basically that like he's a wicked jerk to Harry all the time but he's a good guy in the end that's just trying to make sure Harry does his best kind of a thing like he's always sort of a villain character early on but he's revealed to be is like always like have been doing things for the greater good the whole time sort of a thing Oh, okay. Um, sorry, this is another random thing that I liked, but I like that the book attempts to address uh, racial and gender stereotypes a little bit. I thought that was really good. Yeah, um, there's a couple of points. I was surprised by that. Where Tara, like, she even acknowledges, like, oh, I made some assumptions about Hikari, or I made some assumptions about a specific person from this Or Zaid because he's Muslim, you know, and... Yeah, and, stuff like, like that. And it's kind of like, it is handled kind of ham-fisted, where she's, like, kind of like, oh, I assumed you just disrespected women all the time. No, she was like, I'm not wearing a burqa. And he was like, what is that? Because he's not from a time where that existed. And, yeah. and he's like... Oh, you mean a veil? No, you're a soldier. Why Why the hell would you wear that? Yeah, it, it was kind of dumb. But So, like, it, it, it's kind of neat that, like, Tara does have this sort of, like, stupid reaction at first, which is kind of what it happens to people. It's not, like, a shameful thing necessarily, especially if she's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm wrong about that. Yeah, and, and she had a weird reaction, too, when Delphio was like, oh, let's hold hands. And she was like, oh, in my time, that means you're romantically involved. And Delphio was like, oh. Well, that's dumb. It's not yeah. what it means here. Like, whatever. Um, yeah, and I, I do, like you said, it is a little ham-fisted, but I like that 
the author tried, you know, and I, I, I thought that was a, it's a good attempt. Yeah, I, I also didn't feel like even though Hikari was like, like I said, like your standard samurai, possibly Ronin character, and like you got your legionnaire and stuff. They didn't feel like stereotypes of those characters, even though maybe like the the armor set they were wearing at the start is. You know, gonna be stereotypical of that, but they eventually traded in, obviously, for the time cop armor or what have you. But it's not like the Spartan is super Roman all the time. I mean, he's Spartan in that he's, you know, very all about physical strength and, like, superiority in that way. But he's not, like, overtly, I'm going to dash babies against cliffs if they're disabled or something. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I mean, and there were, there was a lot of kind of cheesy phrasing and and stuff but i let it go because some of there was some other phrasing that was good you know when they're kind of when when the author gets to a point where he's trying to uh, illustrate a character's ideals and they're they're kind of like explaining how they feel to someone sometimes it was like half the time it was it was good and half the time it was just bleh, half the good. time it was a little bit start like this is how i feel exactly you know yeah, sort of a thing uh, telling instead of showing sort of a thing right like okay for example hans smirked wide hans smirk widened sorry you can't frighten me these time travelers don't frighten me either they have this magnificent city but so was atlantis and troy that's another awkward thing that got not that didn't get edited yeah uh in the end they all fell because of their hubris as will this city i'm smarter than you and i'm smarter than them because i embrace the truth like, ugh, come on. Yeah, that that's could again, have been written. You better. also see a lot of that again in anime, is where a villain declares their sort of like emotional intentions and their right. grand scheme. Very. That's the thing in Western media too. Like, I'm not just saying that's anime too. Like, you have the villain giving the grand speech and everything. It's it always comes off as a little bit uh, not quite so great in my book when writers tend to do it that way instead of sort of subtly showing you someone's motivations, which is uh, I, I, one of the despite how aggravated I am about him not finishing his series is I think George R. R. Martin does that wonderfully in a song of ice and fire where he doesn't hit you over the head with someone's motivations, but he does a lot of characterization that shows that to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what makes those books and the series. So, well, less the series, but the books, especially gripping um, and entertaining and, you know, a bit of a, a bit of an intellectual challenge. Um, Whereas, you know, I don't, I don't know if this book, was a super intellectual challenge. I, however, I was surprised by some of the twists in it. Some of them I expected. Some of them I did not. Which I was like, oh, what that was did good. You, what did you not expect? Can you give me like what's an example um, of something that I caught you off guard? I didn't expect all the crazy uh, sort of betrayals that happened during the their trials in the school. Um, like at one point, they. They were like, oh, this is the survival challenge. And they were like, all right, fine. But then there were, like, fucking dinosaurs. And then there were also uh, people hunting them from the modern time. And it was just crazy. Yeah, there was, like, you know, SWAT teams while they were in the Cretaceous period just sweeping the area for Mm -hmm. them. I think, weren't those supposed to... They were hired by the Legion, but they're, like, an outside private military time force or something that got, like, brought in to mess with the students or something. It's, like, there's also, like, a prison somewhere. There's a prison that's called Tartarus, I believe, which is uh, another thing that I saw in a bunch of other animes, but that's besides the point. Again, there's always a prison named Tartarus. (laughs) Yeah, Tartarus is kind of, like... um 
uh, Dante's Inferno. It's kind of like there's like levels of of a literal hell prison that people can be sent to. Yeah, that's this attached is, to Saturn City for some reason. This is a thing that was in uh, Persona Three, actually. There was, oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not just in that, but the uh, up levels of prison thing called Tartarus ha- has appeared in a bunch of other animes, mangas, video games that I've seen. Um, and I, another thing I was surprised by was I was not expecting the um, the sort of like main good force in the book to be questioned part of the way through. That was interesting. I, I was expecting uh, maybe that to happen to certain characters, but not to the whole kind of like Aeon Legion time police Saturn City structure. I thought that was interesting. Okay, yeah, actually, I, you reminded me about something here because... The- <laughs> There's a part in the middle of the book where that this is sort of getting dancing around to where Tara is asked, like, do you really think these time police are doing good in the end? And the way this is done is that they are supposedly captured by one of these hit squads, I think it was. They're captured by someone. And yeah, they're, yeah. they're brought to this offsite area where they're tortured. They're straight up tortured. It, it like doesn't really go into exactly what happens, but it's like for a week or so that they're in this area and getting physically tortured a bunch. And Terra just has to endure it. Anyway, later on, there's like a captain character that's in charge of everything. Then there's the doctor that's doing the actual torturing. Now, later on, it's revealed that Lycus is the captain. And he was just sort of testing all the recruits in in some way. Like if they really wouldn't break under torture. And that, okay, I kind of get that. But he kills the doctor that has been torturing them. And says, you won't get to indulge your sick desires anymore when, dog, you're the one that commanded the torture, right? So... Well, I don't know if that guy was actually dead, though. Because, you know, with, with, like, all these trials and with shield watches and the way they kill people, he probably just came back to life later. Maybe, but at the same point, like, Lycus reveals that it was him as the captain, like, immediately after killing the dude. Yeah. So, like, he obviously doesn't care that much. No, I mean, maybe he did really kill him. I mean, it's, eh, you know. And and I'm like, so wait, so if you ordered him to do the torturing, then you punished him for it when it was a test? What? Yeah. That's just a really confusing, like, thing that they just brush under the table that I'm like, okay, I get you're kind of also illustrating that Lycus is, Lycus has this, like, ruthless side to him, too, but that's a really weird way to do it. That's all. Yeah, I mean. A nonsensical way to do it. Yeah, but like like I said, I rationalized it by thinking that the guy was just going to get revived. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe he doesn't, but. It's it doesn't really matter to the rest of the story. I suppose um, not. That's just another thing that you have to allow to get sweeped under the rug. But I'm just saying, like, there's there's that whole like loyalty test thing was probably the weakest trial of them all for me because of that thing where I'm like, I don't get what are you like? You're the one subjecting them to torture. Yeah, it's, it was pretty it's, fucked up. It seems backwards, and then and then they just kind of accept it. They're like, oh yeah, I went through a whole week of torture to get into this thing. That's the you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um... Yeah, there's some other things that people say that are just, like, contradicts things they said earlier. Like, at one point, when Tara's fighting, um, I think, actually, she's fighting, like, I don't know what she, I don't know who she's fighting, but, uh, she There's says, a lot of sword fights in this book. Yeah, which are cool. Uh, she says, no one chose me, so I chose myself, and I will become a heroine of Saturn City, the Aeon Legion, and all of time. Yeah, dude, except Alia Silverwind chose you, and yeah. if she hadn't, you would 
have no idea what any of this was about so exactly. that was a weird <laughs> like, that was a weird thing to say uh i will you know i will while we're on the subject of like the fights being cool i will say that they're written in a very like easy to follow way that seems yeah. inter- that, that is interesting it doesn't seem it is interesting to read and it's cool to read when people get into fights every time there was about a duel about to happen i was like oh yeah shit let's get it on over here man yeah no it it was sorry i'm yawning oh <gasps> yeah it, it's a no, sleepy day it was, for um, both of us yeah, no, it was it was great that the combat wasn't boring and that it flowed well. Like I wasn't I, I've read books before where the combat was so fucking boring. I was just like, Ugh, you know, yeah. every every line was like, and then the Legion advanced, and then Mark pulled out his sword, and then he thrust his sword at Jay. You know, it wasn't like that. It was uh, it is, was pretty well written. This is fairly descriptive, and it, it seems it it's described in action words and stuff like that. Like sort of positionings of attacks are sort of talked about, but it's not overly technical either. It's just it flows really well, and the fight scenes are interesting to read, which is harder to do than you would think in a book because in a lot of other fantasy books, I get super confused about who's where in a fight. There's this, especially this one series that I kind of been I read off and on called. Uh, the Malazan Book of the Fawn, and it's like oh, this yeah, you huge like series or whatever. And but every fight they get in is so confusing. I have <laughs> no idea who is where, and oh, the no. magic system is even more confusing. Like so, it there's other reasons I read that those books, but like the fighting isn't really one of them, sadly. Mm. And, th- and like it surprised me that this book, like you know, we're we're kind of like ah, it's self published. You couldn't get anyone to publish it or whatever. But at the same time, like it's. It's not. I don't know if he's written other stuff. If he hasn't, it's not a bad first effort in terms of putting. Oh stuff yeah, out. no. It's. I mean, I think, like I said, I think it's overall more positive than negative. Um, but it, I think that you know these things should be addressed before he writes the second book. But uh, sorry, I just have a couple more comments about people saying things that kind of contradict the book. Um, Hans, the evil Nazi, at one point says. He accuses uh, Saturn City of being, and the Aeon Legion of being complacent. I'm like, dude, the Aeon Legion is not complacent. They're constantly running around and murdering time criminals and, like, yeah, capturing like, them. They're and doing and shit also, all the time. Yeah, like, they just survived uh, this bout of the faceless. And, and you know, they, they almost Yeah, Michael Keane has come from beyond yeah. time to fight they, uh, the Time Legion. Yeah, they, uh, they got messed up pretty bad by these faceless things, and um he keeps changing you know, the lineup every year <laughs> no, yeah sorry. yeah no i just yeah so that comment kind of made no sense and yeah like um, they're literally like know. enforcing all branches of the time continuum like i don't know how that works like if there's a time limit or you, you can always just go to like the point if you're a time cop right it's kind of like you can always just put it off until a little bit later because you can <laughs> go to when they weren't they were about to do it so like if you slack off and take a break i guess it's not a huge i don't know how that i don't works. know if it works that way but um yeah i guess like i said time travel is one of those things that i would never mess with with writing because it's, it's impossible to make it's it make too any sense. easy to fuck up there's maybe like one or two time travel things based things that i've seen that like i kind of thought there was a system maybe that made some sense the only movie i've ever seen that like it still is confusing was primer and that thing is like super confusing as time well, i've travel never should seen be. that it's it's a weird one like you have to watch it like twice to like even begin to kind of get what happened oh i found i just found another <laughs> Oh, wait, actually, I you know, I'm excited. I found a sentence where he doesn't use glare. Okay. Uh, 
Kairos stared at Alia, unmoving, with a gaze as cold as steel in winter. <laughs> like, yeah, you just read so a power lame. metal song just to don't, get, you know. Just don't write things. Like, I just, I feel like I just want to send this man a thesaurus, care of Terrible Book Club, and just be like, please, for the love of God, use this for the next book, because I think he can't should keep just, writing like this. I think he should just read more, honestly, and get, like, from different authors to pick up different ways to say things in phraseology i think that's honestly someone as a music writer phraseology is that yeah, is that a word that that is just a way of saying things i guess but to me like I, i'm comparing this to to me as a musician in that i find that i get more creative and i have more stuff to work with and i have less blocks when i start listening to more stuff and i have more stuff to sort of synthesize in my head not even just music but books or movies or just more the more ideas there are bouncing around in my head the more chance there is that something fairly creative comes up from that and i think this guy while he certainly has a lot of influences from stuff like i said that i've seen before he if he were to read certain things out of his usual scope more he would have an expanded vocabulary on how to describe things basically and it's a it's a very subtle and hard to describe thing it's a it's an overtime thing he's not going to read three books and all of a sudden be able to write super better i'm talking about he has to read a lot of books and consume a lot of different media over time to expand his the way his brain chooses to come up with things here's the thing chris he's clearly an adult he's clearly you know someone he's someone that spends a lot of time writing i honestly just think that he needs to revise before publishing i mean i don't know how many revisions he did sure sure i agree with you and i'm saying like the way he can get a better revision done is what i said is exposing himself to other media and letting you know the way you get better at music is listening to more music and applying it yeah yeah something that some of that carries over to other art forms yeah but here's the thing like i don't think he's gonna spend the next year reading a bunch of books like he has to write he's probably writing the next book for this right now and i think Honestly, just having a thesaurus next to you so you don't... And whenever you're writing cold glare again, you go, oh, right, I need to find a better way to say that. Like Icy stare. Yeah. yeah Freezing no. look. Oh, God, no. A um, chilly vibe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, another, another issue sort of along the same lines is that he's always using similes. You know, something was like... A blah 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 or it was as though it was this like he doesn't use any metaphor and he doesn't doesn't really go beyond the basic comparative simile and there yeah. were there were points in the book where i felt like he could have had a great sentence if only he had just thought about it one more time you know i remember <laughs> reading a few things like that too where i was like you could have had a, a there was like a little clump of something here that if you just worked on it chewed on it for a bit you could have had a really good metaphor. And I've always, you know, like you just said, the simile, the comparative simile is sort of the, I don't want to say it's like the lowest form of of metaphor, but it kind of is. It's like the most basic form of comparison you can get. And a metaphor is just kind of a less direct, subtle way of doing a simile in my head, sort of, if that makes sense. Well, a metaphor uh, says that one thing is another thing and a simile says it is like another thing. A metaphor is a stronger way to uh get that comparison across to me it it comes down to the difference between using the word the actual words like or as or was like or seems like and describing something as close to another concept but just using the description to stand on its own without having to use those words like or as yeah which is sort of the mechanical way to look at it i suppose as opposed Mm -hmm. to your definition of looking at 
Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, I think, I probably will read the next book. Really? Um, like, you might because, keep an eye out for like outside of yeah, terrible book club. Because I think that uh, I think that it has some potential. I mean, and I, I might kind be of wrong. agree with you. Like, uh, I, I, like there's some other fantasy series that I've definitely started that I got I got less enjoyment out of, and I like was less entertained by. And I was totally expecting this book to be like I said, like an absolute C grade shonen anime, which it still kind of was in the end, but it wasn't. It feels like an anime with like the the weird Japanese cultural things that sort of don't offend me or anything, but just like clashes with American sensibilities removed. I guess and I'm not. I have no idea what you mean by that because like your fan servicey <laughs> things and like oh, your, you, creepy like, sex stuff. Yeah, yeah, like a little bit of that and sort of like weird Japanese like bound. Not not like that. Not that their culture is weird, but it's just different from America. And so you things that pop up in Japanese media that seem weird to us based on like what we talk about with people and what we don't talk about with people. It, like there's always a cross-dressing scene somewhere in an anime sometimes uh, like no and, and and like honestly i i want to have hope for this book because of things like that because it doesn't have creepy sexual shit going on it doesn't have a romantic subplot it doesn't treat women yeah as mind you i'm not saying that all anime has this weird pervy shit in it because that's definitely not true and i, I you know there's there's uh, tons of amazing japanese media that people should watch all the time but yeah like you were saying it, it doesn't have any of these weird the the lack of romance and sexual stuff elevates this to me yeah and i and it also the other thing that i like is that men and women are treated exactly the same there's like, no difference there's, to like to like there's never like oh you're a girl so you you all those girl characters act a certain way they're mm-hmm. all just individual people it feels like yeah. and their gender has no bearing on their goals necessarily yeah and i was really expecting there to be an element of like oh you stabbed like a girl or whatever like when they were in the training camp but that never happened and i was like oh that's cool there's definitely like a little um, bit of like oh you know she's smaller in her physical stature so haha i don't think she's gonna win or no whatever. it wasn't it wasn't smaller it was because she was a quote soft timer from a timeline where there was no hardship because she was from the year 2000 in the united states so she yeah. was you know a little doughy and not um you know, clearly hadn't had to, had, uh, had not had, bleh, never, I can't talk today, clearly never had to fight for survival and wasn't athletic. And that was a very, very brief um, point of contention, yeah. but she worked through that. So it wasn't. Again, that's the thing I really do enjoy about this book is that the first, at least this first book was about Tara self-actualizing herself and realizing like i gotta just try as hard as i fucking can if i really want to be immortal time cop i suppose yeah i um i really enjoyed that and like i said i did like that there were some surprises for me in the storyline although some of the other ones were super obvious like the whole kairos thing yeah Um, so let's maybe wrap up on this scene right here because oh the end scene yeah you said it was uh yeah, really so um, I forget. Do you remember the context in which the the Kairos Kairos comes down out of like she comes in to like defeat 
it wasn't like she came down to defeat Hans or something, right? But she came down, she appeared out of nowhere to fight something. I forget exactly what it was. Oh, um, she came down to kill, didn't she kill Lycus? Yeah, she came, She was hunting Lycus. Yeah, she came out of the blue to kill Lycus. And, and like basically she appears as this like black armored thing because all the time cops have white armor. So then you have the black knight show up and yeah, oh no, yeah. she's got two, a- I think she has like two Aeon edges or something crazy like that. She's got a super weapon of some kind. No, she doesn't have two. She just has her own. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm probably extrapolating on like anime tropes or something but it's the black knight character that comes out of nowhere and is super powerful and kicks the shit out of the like, the previously super powerful character so well like, yeah but she doesn't come out of nowhere and that's what i was trying to talk about it the whole book foreshadows her return and her return as an evil entity or at least as a uh antagonistic entity if not evil i knew she was coming back but i didn't really get like the antagonist vibe from it she like definitely disappeared for a while and she disappeared into the area where people come back crazy so yeah of, right. you know, probably that but yeah i and thought they, maybe there was going to be like a scavenger hunt for their friend in the next book but she appears as the uh you know black knight antagonist at the end of this one that's super powered up which is a thing that appears once again in lots of different animes yeah i mean I, and i know like I saw the foreshadowing a mile away and was like, oh, yeah, she's going to be that that character, you know. And that's fine. I think that um, I think it'll still play out well. I think it's a good way to continue the story. But I think you're talking about the chess game scene or backgammon or checkers or whatever. Five dimensional chess. That, the, the, yeah, whatever. The thing that Donald Trump plays against everyone else. Apparently. <laughs> Five dimensional chess. You, do you not um, know about this? This uh, joke here? No, I'm unaware of it. Um, uh, lengthy explanation. There's like in Star Trek or something. There's a game called like four dimensional chess or something that's like yeah, chess, mm-hmm. but like with a different thing or whatever. So in political forums that I go on, people use the joke that like political leaders like Obama or Trump are playing twenty dimensional chess on a level <laughs> that you've never unheard of, or it's 1080p Sudoku that he's playing. You know, <laughs> I see. It's a dumb joke. That's all. Yeah, I've explained I- the joke I- and killed it. Anyway, the the uh, last chapter of this book is just kind of a a big reveal, which I actually didn't see coming at all. And I felt like right as I started the chapter, I knew where it was going to go, but I totally oh, it, missed it's, it's, any it's foreshadowing the scene about with this. The Time King and Demion, right? <laughs> yeah, I. I, I love the concept totally of like the time it. kings and time queens. I'm not sure what their job is, but there's time kings and time queens. Well, did you read the appendix? No, I did not. Okay, well, there you go. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> they're basically, I mean, I guess I guess I didn't get a totally clear picture, but Time Kings and Queens used to be in charge, but the Aeon Legion and Saturn City kind of upset that and now now they're just kind of like um heads, you know, figureheads. They they don't have yeah. any real control. Yeah. Um and they and they obviously want that control back. So, um, the, the, what was it like the twist at the end was that and Demian was the one that like sent something out or at first well, or something. Didn't we want to not ruin this for people? I mean, right? we, it's terrible book club. We don't care about spoilers here. We've never cared about spoilers here. I don't know. I I I actually think this book deserves oh, to so be you, read. You want to so hide something? I'd... Okay, fine. This is that's probably the biggest endorsement that any book has ever gotten on this. Yeah. I, well, I guess, like I said, you know, we're both coming at this book from different perspectives. And for me, I still me, wouldn't say it's terrible, mind you. No, 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 absolutely not. And for me, somebody who, you know, who has no concept, relatively no concept of like all these anime and Japanese tropes, I was thinking like if I was reading this as like a thirteen or fourteen year old or even like ten or eleven year old, I would feel. 
probably empowered by this book and, For and sure. the representation of the female lead in the book be- because of all the reasons, the reasons we've already talked about, which yeah. is why I don't want to crush this book and tell people not to read it. I think they should read it. I think that, yeah, maybe, yeah, it's it's not fucking a, sort of, a Song of Ice and Fire. It's not that level. Yeah, but, there's but a it's pl- still good. Yeah, there's a place for, like, you know, young adult adventure books about fantastical sci-fi stuff like this. And out of all of the ones that I've read, like, there's plenty of other garbage out there. And this one definitely stands a chance of being slightly better than those in terms of the story and message it's putting across, at least. Or at least, like, the vibes that it gives. Yeah, I I just really, yeah, I think think I'm just really uh, into... I mean, think about this in comparison to, like, the messages Twilight sends. Right. And that's why this book needs to be promoted. <laughs> uh, this book needs to be thrown at people. Um, read this book. Uh, you know, take away your daughter's copper copy of Twilight and give her <laughs> Aeon Legion book on Labyrinth. It yeah, will and, change I, and I will life. say, like, if you handed this book to me too, as like a fourteen-year-old, like I would have been super hyped because it would have been like a combination of all the cool shit from my favorite animes, basically. Well, right, and it also encourages kind of you know the same positive ideas in men that like all the fights they get into don't have to be over some lady, you know, that they think is cute. It's like, yeah, no, you, there are goals greater than that. This, in life. this book also passes that. Uh, what's the test where it's two characters have to two female characters talking to each other about uh, the Bechtel other. test. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. It passes. You are that with, right. like, I think flying it colors. Uh, well, uh, Hikari and Tara talk to each other all the time about training and that like the men are only uh, a topic of conversation that they are their training partners. But they do, I mean, but they do, two women do talk about men in the book. They, they do, but, like, it's not in a romantic context is, I That's think, true. the point I, um, of That's true. I, um, sorry, I, I actually should know better because Paul and I have, um, talked about this several times. Just gonna do some Googling, um. I, they, but there's definitely female characters that talk about their position in their own world aside from, like, any dude that's in it. You know, Alia yeah, so and Tara talk about the Time Legion and being a time cop plenty of times. So, the... The only criteria are that two women or girls must be named and they must talk to each other about something other than a man or boy. So, yeah, it does. It yeah, does with flying, that. absolute flying colors, I have to say. Yeah. And so, it's, like, um, it's, it's shameful. Who have, like a lot, of, a lot of media doesn't pass that test and you wouldn't even necessarily think about that until. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't think about it unless asked, unless forced to think about it. Um but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to reading the next book. I hope that, I don't know, maybe the author will listen to this. Maybe he'll give a shit about what we have to say. Probably not, though. Um, yeah, it depends <laughs> on how often, like I said, he Googles himself or if he's that type of author, which, like, when you're starting out, it's much more likely, I have to say, because I definitely Google my own band sometimes just to see. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I do that occasionally, too. I'm like, hmm, Concilium Doom, what's yeah, like, going not, on? Yeah, like, not every <laughs> like, day or week, like, maybe once every few months or something, yeah, just to yeah. see if there's, like, some piece of press that I'm. And I or- actually have found some pretty great things that way. And by great, I mean reviews of my band's demo that talk about how bad it is. And <laughs> it's pretty funny. Really? Uh, I've seen plenty of bad reviews of my own material, too. Yeah. So. I mean, I've, I've seen good ones, too, but it's Same. funny. It's funnier when you find the bad ones that are also in another language, so you have to Google Translate your way to find out that this You're person actually thinks... You're talking about Russian, right? You're talking about Russian. No, like, no. For uh, me, it's always Russian people saying, this deathcore shit needs to stop. <laughs> oh, weird. For me, um... Seems like a lot of Chileans really like my band. Okay, um, neat. 
Chileans and Italians seem to a lot be of, a large yeah. demographic. I don't. Or sure, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Uh, but there was definitely some guy from Portugal that uh, hated hated the demo. <laughs> it was funny. Well, you know, you're not going to please everyone, right? Yeah, no. I mean, he. Well, to be fair, he said that the music was bad, but that my voice was good. So I was like, man, win some, lose some, <laughs> move on. Yeah, you know, like I got. There's a lot <laughs> of stuff like that. Like I, taking criticism as a creative type, I think you have to understand that even if someone's coming at you from a harsh tone, they might have a point. So you have to learn how to. Maybe not accept everything, but learn to filter criticism, even though it might be harsh from just someone being a jerk or something like that. You know, there's if you have a thick enough skin, you can use that to improve yourself because you can say, well, okay, he's right. This does need work. And I've done that with my own stuff, too. Oh, and I I agree. The the demo that my band put out was not not great so yeah, i you was know. on this demo so you know oh that's I was, right yeah i was you part were. of this so <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh but anyway moving on to more criticism um i guess my final thing to say is that i really hate the about the author and the credits and influences page in the back yeah that's a little it's, it's a little super lame why would you do this to yourself you're just making yourself look dumb don't do this again for your <laughs> please. If we have to what, leave you with one word of advice, Mr. Babion, please do not. Well, it's just like he... So the whole... I guess I should describe why it's bad. So yeah. the final... Uh, well, one of the final pages of the book, it's like the last page is the thank yous, but before that, it's an about the author, and it says, wanted by the Aeon Legion. The oh, following no. suspect frequently goes by the name of Joseph Paul Boubillon. Oh, he is no. wanted by the Aeon Legion for willful... And it goes on like this. And it's like, yeah, you know, oh my like God. It, it, so dumb. The, yeah, it's, it's super lame, dude. Just be like, yo, I'm 25 and I live with my mom and I write stories. It's dope. Like, that, you could totally do that and I'd be fine yeah, with it. Yeah, I, I would be fine with a short biography. Like, that was just stupid. And also, influences? Like... He has an influences list that says influences, Star Wars, Ender's Game, Chrono Trigger, Dune, Mistborn, Naruto, Kenichi, the Mightiest Disciple, Lord of the Rings, The Kenny Hobbit, G. Berserk. Like, why Kenny <laughs> G? There's what? no saxophone anything in no, the whole book. No, Ken- Kenichi. You know what? You know what? You know what it really is? I don't know what that Kenny is. Kenny G has a shield watch and he's a boy. Oh, yep. <laughs> he, he's um, a time cop beyond all existence. The list goes on. Berserk, Avatar, the last airbender daria gundam and scp foundation and you know of course what SCP foundation the, is? no and of it, course the biggest influence of all history <laughs> oh god all right quick aside scp yeah, foundation is, is kind of like this like it's like a database of creepy internet stories that like oh no it like works to present them as like a real thing like it, in real life it's the scp is like a foundation it's like an x-files foundation that researches paranormal stuff and so if you go on the scp foundation website there's like wikipedia articles about various paranormal ideas and some of them oh, are also like totally okay. made up so it's like fan submitted horror story ideas okay it's it's basically the the creepy wikipedia Oh, that's right. Sorry. And so at the end of the book, there's a little like, thank you for reading Aeon Legion Labyrinth. And this, <laughs> I don't know why, but I hope, I hope you enjoyed watching Tara take her first step along the journey to heroin. 
<laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I forgot that. Like, like you probably should have written to becoming a hero. Yeah, there's like there's a neater way to write oh, that. No, that's another one of those instances where editing could have really came in handy. Yeah, you know, she just, started with just some simple time travel, and then it was opiates, and then she's now she's just freebasing crack on the yeah. on the time on the, the end next of time. Book, the next book is full of sex because of all the favors she has to do to get money. Yeah, she's out out favoring the faceless for some oh. space crack. Michael Keane finally gets his uh, in at the end of time. Wait, was, Michael Keane. Wait, was there a Michael? Who's Michael Keane? He I is Michael the, uh, the the Michael Keane, the band leader in the band The Faceless. Oh God! Earlier, I thought you were saying Michael Keaton, and I thought nope. there was some <laughs> no, movie I that Michael I had Keaton. missed that he was Michael Keane of The Faceless is receiving oh, hand jobs so at the end of time confused. for his, for Tara's hand job for heroin addiction. Oh God! Okay, I was really confused. Um, okay. Yeah, so I guess this episode probably wasn't super funny because this book, I mean, it has its problems, like We're I said. We're not like, necessarily a comedy but, podcast. We're sort of a, like an art criticism slash comedy podcast, people, right? People come to Terrible Book Club for laughs, Chris. They don't I know come that, for, that, that, for anything I've said else. this before. I use this as a, like a way to sort of sharpen my comedy, you know. Oh, God, that's ridiculous. Again, just drop it. Don't, I, don't, no. It's a way to work on being funnier, that's all. But it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like you're you're like trying way too hard to just be a person. Like you don't need to <laughs> you don't need to think about it that way. Just just say charm. What... Charm takes practice. Oh my god, you sound like a total creep. I, that's, I'm not saying I'm like creeping on people. I'm just saying like learning how to be socially like good conversationalist takes practice. I don't know. I you, listen, I guess Paris. I don't think you're a very it. you're a very blessed naturally with the ability to make friends. I have to tell you this. Like it doesn't. I guess. it does not come as easily to other people like me. And I have to practice. And it has definitely worked. It has a million percent worked. You were actually at my house the other day for my birthday party, and did you not see a lot of new faces there? Yeah. Because I, mean, I made a bunch awesome. of new friends with my new social skills. You see. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Actually. Um. What was her name? I talked to Annie for a long time. She was nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I have some cool friends that I've made recently, so... Yeah, hey, doesn't everyone that listens to this podcast really care about Chris's birthday party over the yeah, weekend and want to hear shit, about dude. this? No, yeah, they I don't. Did, yeah. So, let's, anyway... Yeah, let's um, wrap this up. Uh, do you have anything more to say? I, I, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised. It could yeah. use a lot of work on the editing front, even though I don't think there's a lot of editing to be done on necessarily, like, scenes or story beats. That was fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that, it like I said, I thought it flowed really well. Um, I just think that the author really, I, and I'm not saying this to be a jerk, he really needs to sit with a thesaurus and rehash some of the ways that he describes things. Because I agree, that's the major shortcoming. Yeah, it's it's definitely the, the major problem. And, and just, God, just stop dropping letters all the time and forgetting words. Like, you know. That happens, it's, like, it's just proofread it, just proofread it. Yeah, like, there are so many times where maybe was A-B, and there was no A and the or in a sentence, or, like, pronouns were dropped, and, it, yeah, like, the famous immorality, immortality error, I mean... Come on, man, was... I heard the orgies at the end of time were dope, you gotta let me in. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, basically, um, yeah, I don't know, um, so, yeah, I actually, I hope that the second book, uh, is written, and, I don't know, hopefully it gets, um... A little more attention than this yeah, one did. I in guess terms of I will extend one of the first uh, terrible book club uh, 
we misjudged a book by its cover awards or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I would say you know we go in assuming certain things, and we were pleasantly surprised, which yeah. I guess should go to show that we are capable of being pleasantly surprised and enjoy. And we're not just going to shit on a book because we read it, so now we got to shit on it. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, well, when we read Wizards First Rule, I think I had some problems with it, but I think we both agreed that it wasn't a terrible book. It wasn't a terrible book, but there was definitely like 100 pages of S&M that could have been cut. And that's a major oh, yeah. deficiency in a book, I would say. Oh, yeah. And there was, I don't know, I had a lot of problems with it, but I, I still think that Wizards First Rule was readable and yeah. not awful. Um, and yeah, I think Aeon Legion uh, Labyrinth similar. is similar. all right. Yeah. All, all right. right. Well, I don't got much else to say about this anymore, Paris, so unless you don't, I think that might be an episode. Yeah, I think that's it for today. All right, so, then. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us for this Send episode us of more I... fan requests. Send yeah, it, like, we'll yeah. read them, man. Like, we, we, <laughs> we need well, them. Well, we have some, we have some uh, backlog requests that we should probably sift through. Um, True. But anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for sitting through this. And uh, yeah, read this book. Read Aeon Legion. Not that bad. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Yeah, bye. Bye.